0: you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, turn to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be here for the next few weeks. We started a series last week on the marks of Christian growth. Before I read, I want to ask you to forgive me. I'll probably be chewing on a cough drop or something all morning long, so uh, yeah, I'm being rude. But um, I'm not meaning to, I just, uh, I'm probably going to need it to get through it, so just uh, forgive me for this if you would. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses, uh, verses 3 through 15. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it comes through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So for this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things or these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore... I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right that as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that even after my departure, you may be able at any time To recall these things You can be seated And as you're seated I'd like to ask If um, Ken would you lead us In a word of prayer please man if there were a yardstick to measure the spirit and you could mark the growth of your past I wonder how you would answer this question are you taller this year than last when you were a kid you probably remember the the little marks that you made on the wall or maybe you've done it for your kids and And every so often they would come in and they would back up against that wall and they wanted to see, am I taller than I was at my last mark? And in the same manner, in the Spirit, if there were a yardstick to measure the Spirit and you could mark your growth from the past, I wonder how you would answer this question. Are you taller this year than last? If you're a child and you keep going to the doctor and you're the same height every time you go year after year, what is the doctor going to say? Something's wrong. Something's not right. And so Peter here, knowing that he is on his deathbed, knowing that the putting off of his body will soon be, with that knowledge in mind, he says... I'm going to give you what I believe is the most important thing for you to have in your life as a Christian. And he gives you a growth chart. And he says that even when I am dead and gone, I am going to make sure that you have a reminder of these things. Even though you're already established in it, even though you're already doing it, I want you to constantly be thinking about this. Now, Now just think for a minute about who Peter was. This was one of Jesus' inner three. You know, Jesus had His 70 disciples that He had, and then He had His 12 apostles that He had, but then He had His three. His Peter, James, and John. And they were always allowed to come into His most intimate moments with the Father. They were able to see things in His life that nobody else got to saw you got to see. And so this this young man right here that is fixing to put off his body and go be with his Lord, now he knows that he wants to take care of the ones that he's been writing to. And he says, The most important thing that I think that they can have is a growth plan. It's something so that they can be able to mark themselves and be able to see that I am growing in my faith because I don't want there to be something wrong. And so, in verse three of Second Peter, chapter one, you'll see that it says, "His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness." So here you have the goal. The goal is that you would be godly in this life. You remember, if you remember from last week, that First Peter was written, and he was talking about how God has delivered us out of darkness, and He has caused us to live in His light. And so He has revealed our rebellion against Him to us and then He has shown us the example in Jesus Christ so that we can see our sin, so that we can turn from it, and so that we can be back in relationship with Christ. And so He says life and godliness is the goal. The goal is to live in the light of Jesus Christ. And He, His divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness and it comes through the knowledge of Him who called us. So there's a call. So here's where you put all this together. He wants you to understand that when you heard about the knowledge of Jesus Christ, in other words, when you heard about the gospel, and then you heard the call to come to the gospel, He called you to His own glory and to His excellence That word excellence is also translated as virtue or moral excellence. In other words, He has called you to His glory and to His perfection. And so He's calling you out of darkness and He's calling you into this light. And His divine power has granted you all things to be able to live a godly life and come into the calling of His glory and excellence. And then we go into verse um, 5. By which, in other words, by the gospel and by the, uh, the call, by the gospel and by answering the call, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. You might remember from last week in Acts chapter 2 when Peter was preaching, Peter said, listen, the promise is for you. The promise is for everybody who answers the call of God. And the promise is this, repent. Be baptized, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. And what he wants you to understand is that through the gospel, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ in the gospel, through answering the call to the gospel, he has granted to you his precious and very great promises, one of them being a divine power, a divine nature, So that through them, through what? Through the promises. Look at that again. So that through them, through those very great and precious promises, you may become a partaker of the divine nature. So again, all he's talking about here is hearing the gospel, answering the call to the gospel, receiving the promise of the gospel, And the promise of the gospel is, I'm going to give you a divine nature. See, right now, in your flesh, apart from the Holy Spirit, you don't have a divine nature. You have a fleshly nature. You have a nature that is close to sin. A nature that actually loves to rebel against God. But he says that through the promises, you can become a partaker of the divine nature and through the promises, you can escape the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. In other words, another promise that God gives you is this. Sin will not be your master any longer. Sin is now your enemy, not your master. He's now opened your eyes to your sin through the gospel. He's opened your eyes to your rebellion against Him. And now He has put you in a place that you can make war on your sin because you have a divine nature. So His divine power has granted to us all things because He gives us a divine nature and He he, he conquers sin so that it is no longer our master, but instead it's our enemy. And He puts us in a place that we can fight it. And we can stand against it. And so what Peter is trying to get at right here is that you are justified by faith and faith alone in the gospel. When you hear the gospel and you answer the call, God declares you not guilty. And you are in a right relationship with Him. But then that's just the beginning. He says that's where faith starts. But then genuine faith is going to move forward into the light because it recognizes what God has delivered me from and what He is calling me into. See, that's the problem with a lot of people that hear the gospel today or a lot of Christians, and I put that in those air quotes, a lot of Christians today... They don't understand or they have forgotten that God has cleansed them from darkness and brought them into light. And so there's a lot of believers in Jesus who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't understand the gospel. They never answered the call to come into His glory and His excellence. Do you see that? And as a result of that, they continue living in the darkness. And they say, well, I'm a believer. Well, let me tell you what James has to say about that. Even the demons believe. And they believe so much that they tremble at the name of Jesus. But they're not Christians. They're not followers of Christ. They are not saved from their sin. And so ultimately, the gospel is hearing about what Christ has done for us and for our rebellion against God. And answering the call to come out of our rebellion and come into God's glory and virtue and excellence. And when you hear that gospel and you answer that call, the promise to you is, I am going to give you a divine nature. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to give you the power to escape the corruption that's in the world because of the darkness. And so we move into verse 5. Verse 5 says, For this very reason... For what very reason? For the very reason that He's called you out of darkness into light. For the very reason that He's given you a divine nature and given you the power to conquer sin. For the very nature that His divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. For that reason, He says, add to your faith or supplement your faith is what my version says. Supplement your faith with virtue. And then He lays out this growth plan. And then I want you to notice, go over to verse 8 with me. I want you to notice what happens. He says, For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, or some of your versions say they abound. In other words, if you can look at your life and you can see the foundation of faith in the gospel, right? We're not talking about doing good works trying to be saved. We're talking about I believe the gospel and because He's called me out of darkness into the light... I'm going to go into the light. And so he says in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how you can be a Christian in this world and be effective and be fruitful for God? There's a growth plan for you right here. And you need to be looking at yourself and evaluating. Am I adding to my faith virtue? Am I adding to my virtue self-control or knowledge? Am I adding to my knowledge self-control? Am I adding to my self-control steadfastness or perseverance? Am I adding to my perseverance brotherly affection? Am I adding to my brotherly affection love? In other words, am I continuously growing so that I'm coming out of the darkness and moving further into the light? Because if I'm not, then there's a problem. But if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, you will not be be ineffective. You will not be unfruitful in the gospel. That's what it means when it says they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, in the gospel that's been given to you, you want to be fruitful in the gospel, right? You want to be effective in the gospel, Well, These qualities need to be yours, built on top of your faith in the gospel. And then it goes on in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In other words, if you have these qualities and they're increasing, then it is evidence to you that you understand what God has delivered you from. Somebody who does not have these qualities is somebody that does not understand that God is drawing them out of darkness and calling them to glory and excellence. Too many people in this life that are Christians are living day after day and they're not moving from the darkness to the light. And the truth of the matter is, uh, Peter says here, the problem is they don't really understand the gospel. They don't really understand that God has cleansed them from darkness to bring them into light. And so then he moves on into verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, if you have these qualities and they're increasing, they come from a motivation of faith in the gospel, not just works, then you are able to confirm your call of God. That's what it means when it says to make your calling and election sure. The question Peter has is this. If you don't have these qualities, have you really heard the call? That's hard. And I'm not trying to be a hard preacher here. I'm trying to love you enough to tell you the truth. If you don't have these qualities and you're not increasing in this, but instead you're still playing in darkness and you're still going back to darkness, the question Peter would ask is, are you sure about your call? So be even more diligent to make your call and your election or the fact that God called you and He chose you. Be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. Because if you practice these things, then you'll never go back to darkness. Not saying you won't stumble. Not saying you won't make mistakes. Not saying you won't struggle with sin. He said if you practice these qualities. In other words, if this is your lifestyle. Darkness is not your lifestyle anymore. You still fight with it. You still struggle with it. But my lifestyle is moving toward light then that is evidence to me that I have heard the call, I have answered the call, and I am moving from darkness into His glory and His virtue and His excellence. And then finally in verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for in this way. In other words, if you are walking in this way based on the foundation of your faith, he said there is an entrance. This is the way that you're going into the kingdom of heaven because you're moving from darkness into light. So I ask the question again, or I say the statement again. If there were a yardstick to measure the Spirit, and there is, and you could mark your growth of the past, I wonder how you would answer this question. Are you taller this year than last? I pray before this series is over that you're able to answer that question. So it all begins with faith, going back to verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. I love the way that he puts that. Because listen, we don't work for our salvation. Our salvation comes through the fact that Jesus Christ offers us His righteousness and He takes on our sinfulness. And we accept that. So that's how we are saved. But then, sanctification is a part that you play in. You don't have a part in your justification other than believing the gospel. That's it. But sanctification is a lifelong process that you play the part in. And so he says, for this very reason, you make every effort. It requires effort on your part. In other words, now you have to get into the battle. And you have to fight your flesh. So for this reason, make every effort to supplement or add to your faith virtue. So Peter says that a person that's of genuine faith and understands what God has delivered them from, that they will add to their faith virtue. Virtue. And virtue here is another word for moral excellence. In other words, it's um, knowing what is right in God's standard and following that standard. Not what's right according to our own moral compass or according to what we think is right or wrong, but according to God's standard. Remember, He called us to His glory and His virtue, His excellence. Not our moral excellence, but His. And so we add to our faith... His virtue, and that is our responsibility. And so here's the thing. He's calling us to be good. Well, the problem with that is I'm not very good at being good. That's my problem, God. You're asking me to do something that I can't do. I can't be good. You know, our little three-year-old boy right now, he, um, he loves Pinocchio. I don't know if y'all remember Pinocchio or not, but uh, he likes to go to bed at night now and he wants me to cut his TV on Pinocchio and that's what he watches is go to sleep. He watches Pinocchio and he loves it. And, um, and I, I think there are a lot of similarities between us and Pinocchio. And so I want to show you a three-minute clip, three-minute clip of Pinocchio. And I want you to see if you can figure out what is Pinocchio's problem. Because when you figure out Pinocchio's problem, you're going to find your problem. And then we're going to figure out how do we fix that problem. So if you would play that, and you'll probably have to cut the sound up on it. I don't know how good my recording is.
1: Now what's up? What's going on here? As I live and breathe, a fairy. Mm -mm. Good Geppetto. You have given so much happiness to others. You deserve to have your wish come true. little puppet made of pine, wake, the gift of life is thine. Tonight, Geppetto wished for a real boy. Am I a real boy? No, Pinocchio. To make Geppetto's wish come true will be entirely up to you. Up to me? Prove yourself brave, truthful, and unselfish, and someday you will be a real boy. A real boy! That won't be easy. You must learn to choose between right and wrong. Right and wrong? But how will I know? Holly, will know? Your conscience will tell you. What are conscience? What are conscience? I'll tell you. A conscience is that still, small voice that people won't listen to. That's just the trouble with the world today. Are uh, it... my conscience? Who, me? <laughs> Would you like to be Pinocchio's conscience? Well, uh, I... I uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Very well. What is your name? Uh, oh, uh, Cricket's the name. Jiminy Cricket. Kneel, Mr. Cricket. Huh? No tricks now. I dub you Pinocchio's Conscience, Lord High Keeper of the Knowledge of Right and Wrong, Counselor in Moments of Temptation, and Guide along the Straight and Narrow Path. Arise, Sir Jiminy Cricket. Well, oh, oh. <laughs> my mind. Mm. Say, that's pretty swell. Gee. Thanks. But, uh, don't he get a badge or something? Well, we'll see. You mean maybe he will? I shouldn't wonder.
0: Make it a gold one?
1: Maybe. Now remember, Pinocchio, be a good boy. And always let your conscience be your guide.
0: Goodbye, my lady. Goodbye. So, what is Pinocchio's problem? He don't know, anything. He don't know how to be good. He don't have the knowledge of right and wrong. Remember, our ways are not God's ways. And so we have a knowledge of right and wrong, but how well has that served you so far in your life as far as in your relationship with God? And so we have to have some help. And so what does the fairy do here in order to help Pinocchio? He appoints him a guide. He says, okay, I am going to make this little cricket here your high keeper of right and wrong, this guide for through all temptation and named off several things there. But the point being that Pinocchio cannot do this on his own. He is no matter how hard he tries to be good. If y'all remember the movie, no matter how hard he tries to be good, if he don't listen to Jiminy Cricket, what happens to him? He strays away every time over and over and over again. And so here we are. God has given us the gift of life. And we have by faith been justified. There was nothing you could do. You had as much to do with your new birth in Christ as you did with your first birth. How much part did you play in being born into this world? None. So you had that much to do with the new birth as well. The only thing you did was heard the gospel, heard the call, and you said, here I come. That's it. And the gift of life was yours. But now that God has given you life, He tells you now make every effort to be a good boy, to be a good girl. And the problem is, but how will I know? And He says, well, here's how you're going to know. I am giving you a divine nature I'm giving you the gift of my Holy Spirit. And if you will listen to this gift, and you will not quench it, and you will not push it away, and you will not ignore it, but instead you will be sensitive to it, then He will guide you, and He will be your high keeper of the knowledge of right and wrong. He will be your counselor in moments of temptation, His guide along the straight and narrow path. See, the problem with us is that we, sin so easily entangles us just like it did with Pinocchio. You remember the story, if you do remember it. Uh, Pinocchio ended up on Pleasure Island. And when he ended up on Pleasure Island, he was doing all the things that his flesh enjoyed. And then next thing you know, he's turning into a donkey instead of a boy. And that happens to us too, if we're not careful. Look at Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. It says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? If they can, then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Sin is very close to you. It is in your nature. Your flesh loves it. So everything in you has to make every effort to make sure that you're putting on the things of God and putting on the goodness and the virtue of God and putting off the things that your flesh desires and your flesh wants. No more than the Ethiopian can change his skin or the leopard can change his spots. Can you do good? You can't. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? By nature, we are all sinners and we're all rebels against God. But here we are commanded to do good. So we have to answer this question, and this is where the message will come from this morning. How do we add virtue to our faith? Well, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about goodness in the Christian life. How do we add virtue to our faith? How will I know? In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 is where we'll start. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, I'm calling you out of darkness and I'm calling into your light, into the light of Christ, so no longer walk the way that unbelievers in the world walk. I'm calling you out of that. And then He tells you, here's how you do it. The first step to learning how to add to your faith virtue You have to make sure that you don't underestimate the seriousness of sin. You know, here's the problem with us as as, um, fleshly Christians. We underestimate the seriousness of our sin. We don't realize exactly what it's doing to us. We don't realize exactly the destruction that it is wreaking in our life. The havoc that that is wreaking in our life from sin. And so he lays us out a list of what sin actually does and what walking in the way of unbelievers does. The so first off, it causes them to be futile in their minds. What does that mean? It means that your mind literally becomes useless for God. You are absolutely useless for God in your mind. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 31. It's hold your place in Ephesians. Don't leave there because we're going to take these one at a time. He says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. So think about that for a minute. They did not want to acknowledge God. That's the problem with unbelievers. We don't want God. We don't want God's ways. We want my ways. I want to do what I want to do. God, I don't need you to tell me right from wrong. I can decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. And since we did not want to acknowledge God, God gave us up. God says, and like a parent normally does, you think about it, sometime along your teenager's lives, for those of you that have raised teenagers, you, you know that for many of you there comes a point to where you literally have to let them have their way. Not because you want to, in the hopes that they learn the hard way and they just figure it out on their own. And God says, okay, I'm going to let you have your mind. Since you don't want me in it, I'm going to show you what your mind looks like. And remember, the heart of man is desperately sick. It is so deceitful, who can understand it? You can't change the leopard spots or the Ethiopian skin, and you can't do good. That's the kind of heart that you have. And let's see how the mind manifests itself when God gives us over to it. And again, Romans chapter 1 Verse, 20, um, verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, with evil, with covetousness, with malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. That's the kind of mind that we have when we refuse God and instead we want to walk in our sin. So my question to you is this, have any of you ever suffered because of any of those sins that were named? Destruction is all that you have to look forward to. And so here's the problem. We look at the smallest little sins and we don't take it serious. We look at it and we think, ah, it's just this or it's just that or it's not really a big deal you don't understand. It may start out as something that seems real small, but before long, you're walking in a futile mind because you don't want God, you don't want His knowledge. And so He gives you over to a debased mind, to a futile mind, to do those things which are not fitting, and they go from one to the next, to the next, to the next, and then it grows into something until you've hit rock bottom and you can't find your way out of this hole. And so He says, don't walk in the futility of your mind Back in Ephesians chapter 4 again. The seriousness of sin, it causes futile minds. It darkens the understanding, according to verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. What does he mean by that? Well, Romans 1 tells us this again. In Romans 1 verse 21 through 23, he said, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or were thankful. Now think about this. They knew God. It was impossible for them to not see the evidence of Him. They knew Him, but they did not honor Him as God. They did not give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They become darkened in their ascending, And here's how. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Keep going with me. Remember that. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's how because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's what he's saying. When you are going into sin and when you're following all the things of the world instead of following God, it looks wise. You think to yourself, this is okay and this is not a big deal. And it darkens your understanding. And it says they claim to be wise when they're doing it but they're actually becoming fools. And the reason they're becoming fools is because they're making a dark exchange. They are, instead of taking on the glory of God, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. In other words, everything in this creation is nothing more than an image of a reflection of the glory of God. All the things that you enjoy so much and all the things that you chase after and all the things that you live and give your life to, they're all images of the gifts that God has given you. That's all they are. And he says that we trade the glory of the immortal God and we say, God, I appreciate you and I love you, but I would rather have the images, the mortal stuff, the temporary stuff. I would rather have this. And because that dark exchange takes place, your understanding is darkened and it makes you think that it's a wise trade. But what you don't understand is you've just made the worst trade that's ever been made in the history of man. You just traded immortal for mortal. That's what you did. And so we have to understand the seriousness of his sin. It darkens our understanding. Back to Ephesians chapter 4 again. In verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Do you see the seriousness of sin yet? It causes your mind to be useless. It makes what should be foolish decisions look like wisdom to you. It deceives you. And then it separates you from your God to the point that sometimes He don't even hear you. That's a little scary, ain't it? Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 again. Let's see what else it does. It alienates them from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words, the ignorance of their sin comes because their heart is hardened. Look with me again at Romans chapter 1, verse 19. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. God gave up on your mind because of sin. He gives up on your heart because of sin, and He gives you in to your, your own impure hearts. So it, the reason we have ignorance of sin is because we harden our heart to the things of God. We know this and we know this, but we keep saying, no, I don't want that, I don't want that, I want this. And the more you do that, the harder your heart becomes to the point that you are completely ignorant of the sin that is in your life. Hardness of heart leads to ignorance of sin. And then that leads to the next step in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, I'm sorry, verse 19 says, They have become callous. What does it mean for something to be callous? You ever, um, when I was a kid... Not today. Not as much. (laughs) Been a while. When I was a kid, I grew up on the farm. I used to know what hard work is. I used to have some of the roughest hands around. My wife couldn't stand whenever I'd rub her shirt or something because my hands always snagging her shirts and just the the calluses on my hands were, were terrible. But where that came from was the more I put friction on those hands and the more I was using post hole diggers and doing fencing or whatever, it, it, it would the friction that would keep rubbing the skin would cause the skin to become harder and harder and harder to the point that I couldn't even really feel anymore. I could just get out and put as much pressure as I wanted on them. And the truth of the matter is I couldn't feel it no way. And so here's what God is saying that sin does to you. Sin causes you to become so callous that no matter how much pressure He keeps putting on you, you don't even feel it anymore. He said they have become callous and then you have become so numb to where you're at in your sin that it causes you to give yourself up to sensuality. In other words, lewdness is another word for that. An unbridled fleshly life. So what does it mean when something is unbridled? When a horse is unbridled, what does that mean? Do whatever he wants to do. There ain't nothing to stop him. There ain't nothing to try to turn him one way or the other. It's completely unbridled. And so you see the progression that sin does in your life here? And it all started out with something simple of thinking, you know, it's really not that big a deal. Next thing you know, you're separated from God. You're callous to it. You don't even feel the pressure of it anymore. And now it has gone from just one thing to now I've given myself over to where I'm just unbridled i do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And practice every kind of impurity. And so he's saying here that you have to... Paul is saying, if you're not going to walk the way that the unbelievers used to walk and what you've been delivered out of, if you're going to be good, the first thing you have to do is don't underestimate the seriousness of it. Too many times we think of sin and stuff that we know is sin in our life. And we, and we don't think twice about it. We just follow right on through with it. And we follow it. You are underestimating the seriousness of sin. And I'm telling you, the path that it's fixing to take you down, nothing good comes from it. Amen. Nothing good. It'll separate you from God is what it'll do. <clears throat> so make every effort to put it off because it's serious about killing you. The second thing, if you're going to be good, the second thing you have to do is you have to learn from Christ. And don't quench the divine nature. Look with me at Ephesians 4 again, starting in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. That's not the way you learned Christ. He said, if you want to put on the good things, you have to understand that God has given you a divine nature. He's called you out of where you were, separated from Him. He's given you this divine nature, and now He's putting you in a place for you to pull your seat up into the school of Christ and learn from Him. Your ways are not God's ways. But the Bible says that He is the image of the invisible God. So whenever we learn from Christ and we put on His ways, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we apply those things to our life, we can be good. But here's the problem. There are too many people that go to church today because it's the right thing to do. You don't come in here to pull your seat up to the front of the class. You know, when it's something that your heart is set on, it's something you want to learn. I'm this way. That's the reason I'm saying this. When it's something my heart is set on and it's something I want to learn there ain't nothing that could take my attention away from it. I used to be the guy that would come in church and sit on the pew and go to sleep. I'd be sitting there. I I was like some of y'all are right now. I used to be good at it. Had a lot of practice. But you know, today, I can't go to sleep during a sermon no matter how hard I try. I can't. I don't care who's preaching. I don't care how boring they are. I am so attentive to what they have to say. That's truth now. I'm not saying that just because I'm a preacher. That's the truth. And matter of fact, I don't even care for all these little surface level preachers that just want to give you a little nugget that makes you, woo, don't do nothing for me. I want somebody that's going to give me the deep stuff. I want to be able to dig down and I want to see the glories of God like I've never seen them before. That's my heart, that's my desire. And so what I'm telling you, if you're going to learn to be good and add virtue to your faith, you've got to remember you can't do it on your own, but God's given you a divine nature. The high keeper of the knowledge of right and wrong, the counselor in times of temptation, He's given you that, but now you've got to pull your seat up in the school of Christ. And you've got to start listening. You need to be coming to Sunday school and listening and asking the question, God, what can you teach me about your ways today? And so that it's not just I'm just coming to a Sunday school class, but I'm listening with the intent of I want to learn something that I can apply to my life so that I can move out of darkness and into the calling in which He has called me into His own glory and His own virtue. And so I am learning. I'm pulling my seat up and I'm learning from Christ. And so Apostle Paul says, listen, if... this is the way the unbelievers walked and this is the result of it. But you didn't learn that from Christ if indeed or assuming that you have heard about Him. (laughs) Because that ain't the way of Christ. If indeed you've heard about Him and if indeed you were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. So you've got to pull your seat up to the school of Christ. And you've got to be able to come into the places that are studying about who He is. And you've got to listen to what He has to say. And be intent on learning. Not just coming in because this is the right thing to do. You've got too many people. And I'm going to say this. I've only got two points to go. I might even be done by 12 today. I don't know. But I'm just going to say this. And I've said it so many times, but I'm getting so much better at it. I've been here a long time, long time. And it used to bother me that people wouldn't come to church because of the amount of time that I taught and I preached. It used to bother me real bad. It used to bother me that there would be people that would leave the church because of it. Can I be honest with you and tell you something today? I don't care. That's the truth. I don't care. I'm spending my time. I'm not chasing rabbits. I'm not trying to get off and try to make you laugh or try to be funny. I I am honestly giving you what the Word of God says in the hopes that you can be taller next year than you were this year. And so my desire for you is that you don't come in here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and the only thing you're thinking about is I'm just here because it's the right thing to do or I'm just here because my kids need to go to youth. You know what? Your kids don't need to go to youth. Your kids need you to be a Christian. That's what they need. That's what they need. And if you can get that right, I promise you your kids will see that example. They'll see it. And so pull your seat up to the school of Christ and learn from Him. Don't just do it because it's the right thing. The third third way that you be good is don't just put off sin, but instead put on the good virtue. There's a process that goes to place. You're not just in a battle so that you can get through the day and go, whoo, I didn't sin, or I beat this one. You're not just trying to deny the flesh, but instead you're trying to put on the Spirit. There's a transfer that's taking place. So look again at Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 22. Here's what you learn from Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self that is created. Remember, this new self is not something you do. It's a creation from God. And you're putting it on. And it's made after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So now keep going with me. And he gives us an example of what this looks like. In verse 25, Therefore, having put away lying or falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So in other words, you don't just quit lying, but instead you become a truth speaker. You do the opposite of what you used to do. You put this off and you put this on. Go down with me to verse 26. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so here's what he's saying. Instead of just... Whenever you and your spouse fight or whoever you fight with, uh, I'm sure that there are times that you just... You decide, I'm just not going to fight. I'm just not going to say nothing. That's what I'm going to do. And you think you accomplished something. And he says here, don't just overcome your anger and then not do anything, but instead, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give the devil an opportunity. So yes, you want to overcome the sin of anger and what it's going to lead you to, but you want to make sure that you're putting on the thing that is of the Spirit. And so he's saying here, there's a putting off that has to take place, but don't just put off, put on. And so don't just not get angry, Or don't just deal with your anger by not saying nothing, but instead, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And so there's a way to respond to this. And we can go through the rest of them. If I had time, I'm not going to. I'll let you go through them. But look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So instead, don't just quit being a thief. But instead, quit being a taker and start being a... So put off, but also put on. And so if you want to start being good, then there has to be a process to take place that you understand. He's not not just calling you to quit your darkness. He's calling you to put on the light. And so you have to make sure that whatever it is that you put off, that there is also a light to put on. And you need to figure out what that is by learning from Christ. Finally, the last one, number four. Remember, only the pure in heart shall see God. Go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Because if you were to go through all of them at the end of chapter 4, they all do the same thing. It's a putting off and a putting on process. But then look how he ends it in chapter 5. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. In other words... God has called you out of darkness into His glory and His virtue, so imitate God. Therefore, by learning from Christ, by trusting the Holy Spirit, I missed one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. I can't miss this one. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know how you grieve the Holy Spirit? He's like Jiminy Cricket was with Pinocchio. And if you go back home, you watch the movie, you'll see what I'm talking about. Every time Pinocchio was going down a bad way, Jiminy Crick was over going, Pinocchio, no, no, don't go that way, go this way. Don't do that, do this. And he was trying his best to lead him and guide him, and yet Pinocchio wouldn't listen to him. And instead, he just kept going his way and kept doing what he wanted to do. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, if you're going to learn from Christ, you also got to make sure that you don't quench your Holy Spirit, the one that is trying to guide you and lead you and He's trying to direct you. But so many times in your life you know that this is what you should be doing and you know this is what you shouldn't be doing. But instead of listening to that, you just follow your own path. You know that you can control your anger and you can do right. But instead, you feel better if you're able to vent your anger. And so you don't control it. Instead, you just follow through with your flesh and you quench the Holy Spirit. And so he says here, do not quench the Holy Spirit. He's the one that is sealing you for the day of redemption. He's the one that's bringing you out of darkness into the light. But then finally, number four, uh, uh, remember only the pure in heart will see God. Ephesians 5 verse 1 again, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So there again you see the putting on and the putting off. But then look what he says in verse 5. For, the reason why you have to make sure that you're putting on this good, for you may be sure of this. Y'all listen. You need to heed this warning. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's a hard warning, ain't it? Now, again, Paul's not saying that if you're not good, you're not going to go to heaven. You go to heaven because of Jesus Christ. But if your faith is genuine and your call is sure and your election is sure, then you're going to understand that he's calling you out of darkness and into glory and virtue. And if you understand that, then he says you can be sure of this. No one who's still practicing in darkness and who's still living in darkness, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Only the pure in heart will see God according to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. The pure in heart shall see God. The way we become pure in heart is by following our Holy Spirit, learning from Christ, moving from darkness into light. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So I'll close with that today, and I want you to understand, growth in your faith is essential. It's not an option. If your faith is genuine, you understand your call, you understand your election, He will draw you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Sit at the school of Christ and learn. And if you do these things and these qualities are yours and they're increasing, you will be neither ineffective or unfruitful in the gospel. A way will be richly provided for you into the kingdom of God. And you will never fall. That's a promise. Homework. Homework. That's right. I said homework. Don't spend all your time on Pleasure Island this week. (coughs) What do I mean by that? Well, if I have to learn from Christ in order to put on the ways of God, then maybe it would be good for me if, if I have trouble coming in every day and the first thing I do is click the remote to turn the TV on. What would be something that would be handy to do this week? Unplug the TV. Why do I say unplug it? Because what are you going to do out of habit? And so if you unplug it, what's going to happen? You're going to come up, you're going to get the rope, and you're going to go... Right? And then eventually you'll reach a point where you'll go... And you'll remind yourself that this is what I'm going to take some time it ain't got to be a lot of time. I ain't got to say you got to come in and spend your, the, the whole evening reading the Bible. Um, but I promise you this, the more time you spend in it just meditating on a few scriptures, the more in love with it you're going to fall. You ever got a hold of a good book? I know most of y'all ain't readers in here. But you ever got a hold, y'all readers, you ever got a hold of a good book and then you get into it and you can't put it down? The Bible will become that. I promise you. You're talking to somebody who's not a reader. And I'm telling you that from my life. It's another homework. Find the sin that so easily ensnares you. Hebrews talks about a sin that easily ensnares you. There is a sin in your life. Maybe a few of them, probably. Find out what it is. And make a decision this week that God is calling me out of this darkness and He's calling me into glory and virtue. And I hear His call and I want to answer that call. And so I want to make my call in my election sure. And so I'm going to identify those sins that the Holy Spirit is showing me. And I'm going to find a way to make war on it. There's a way for you to do it. You just have to ask the question. How can I make war on this sin in my life that so easily ensnares me? What do I need to do in order to make war on this? And that... the. the that's so vast, I can't even begin to pinpoint every one of them. But surely you know what I'm talking about. You need to find that one in your life. Don't underestimate the seriousness of sin. Don't quench the divine nature. And when you start putting off whatever your sin is, start putting on whatever the light is that God would lead you to in His life.